Wow. Thank you, Pastor Marty. Thank you, Chase, that made it back early, and our team will be coming back midweek, um, next few days. You know, two things we're believing for. One is that everyone in this church will understand that we're not called to sit and to soak and to and literally absorb all the good things of the Lord, but they are for an activation to be used of God. Within the next five years, if you're going to be a covenant partner of our church, sometime within the next five years, you'll find your two feet on foreign soil. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just prophesy that over you. And you may be afraid of flying. We'll, we'll put something in your body to knock you out. I don't know. We'll, <laughs> I'll never forget, I went to Ukraine, and I've never had drugs in my life. I drank, but I never did do drugs, scared of them. And Pastor David Edmondson, I don't know where he got the dope. <laughs> I said, Pastor David, I don't, I, I need, when I hit the ground in Ukraine where we were going, I said, I need to be ready. I said, I need you to pray for me. I need to sleep. He says, I got exactly what you need. <laughs> he handed me a Xanax, a little pill. And I thought, that's tiny. What's that going to do? I put that thing in my body. And before I took off, I'm in another world. I remember them bringing my food. They woke me up. I'm just holding my spoon like this. I, don't, I mean, for nine hours, I didn't know if, where I was. I didn't know what happened. You know, you know, Pastor Dave just gives that little wink. I got you. He's a bad boy. Go in your Bibles to Matthew 12. I have a few remarks this morning. I am so excited about this series that we are in on prayer. I, I have a few declarations this morning that I feel that are necessary. Jesus said in, in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 12, and before I read the word, if you're a pastor today, if you're a, a lead pastor of a church, would you stand up? I know we have several in the room today. If you are a lead pastor of a church, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, pastor. Thank you, my friends. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, um, I want to just honor you guys and thank you for being here. I know it's difficult to leave your own church and to come <clears throat> to another church, but I feel it will be worth it this weekend. So Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives this discourse. He says, then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, mute, and he healed him so that the blind man and the mute man both spoke and saw. And the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Sometimes you can become so religiously biased 
that you can miss an authentic move of God. You know, the Bible talks about that the Lord is going to do a new thing. And we were reading these scriptures this weekend. And we all have an idea of what that looks like until God begins to do a new thing that doesn't register with us. And the new thing now becomes an enemy of ours. It doesn't fit into our paradigm, our theological construct, and so therefore we, we say it's not of the Lord. So here's Jesus on the scene, and there were exorcists before him that tried to, to help people, but none like him. None like him. That even with his spoken word, that he could cast devils out, not just one, but legions of them. He could command the the domain of darkness to be silent, to be still. And so since it did not fit in their paradigm, they called him a false prophet, Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts in verse 25 and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now watch verse 29. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house, and he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. I have been diving into this subject of prayer. You know that we pray five times a week corporately as a church family. We pray on Monday nights, Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, Saturday, Sunday morning, and Sunday evening. This is not something that I am just uh, um, introducing to our congregation, but I am wanting to reiterate the value and the power of prayer. Prayer cannot be a ministry of the church. It cannot be a tag on something that we do. It cannot be equal to any other ministry in the house of God. It is not equivalent to the youth ministry. It is not equal to the children's ministry, the worship ministry, the preaching ministry, and the discipleship ministry. Prayer is superior to all of those. Now, that is a foreign statement for a preacher to make who loves to preach. And it rubs against the grain when our culture is a worship culture. And for someone to stand up and say, the supreme ministry of the church, of the highest priority and the highest order, should be and has to be the prayer ministry of the church. It is from that flow that our worship, our discipleship, our preaching, our evangelism carries a dimension and an order and an empowerment that we've never known before. 
So I tell pastors everywhere I go, there's two things you're responsible for. One, to be an incredible host to the presence of God. In your individual life, as well as your church culture, must be developed in a way that hosts the presence of God, that he is so attracted to it, that he is so drawn to it. He says, I never want to unpack my bags. And the second thing is to become a man or woman of prayer, that you give yourself to it, and that you are defined by it. And therefore, if it is personally a part of your life, it will literally seep into the fabric of the congregation. See, I can't lead you where I've not been. And I can't take you where I've not been. The hardest thing that a church does is pray. We can pack the building with a potluck dinner, a concert, a teaching, an event, but whenever the prayer meeting is called, for some reason that we're all tempted with, well, that may not be for me, or that is not that important for me, or somebody else will do it. I came across a story that I wanna read to you, and the title of my message this morning is Satan Can Be Stopped. I am convinced the reason Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says, is to literally to destroy the works of the devil. I am convinced today that this is the will of God for the body of Christ to have a collaboration, if you will, and a partnership with the Holy Spirit that annihilates the kingdom of darkness agenda. And I came across this story that I found really intriguing, and this is it. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, Satan called a worldwide convention, and in his opening address to the throng of demons, he said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from worshiping God and reading their Bibles. In fact, we can't even keep them from being good, but we can do something else. We can keep them from tapping into the power of prayer. And then he proclaimed, yes, this will be our goal to keep them from the one thing that is the greatest threat to our world dominance and influence. So demons, I commission you to make this your highest aim, and that is keep the church from praying. He continued, if they realize what they can accomplish in prayer, then we will lose the war. So let them go to church, let them have their Christian lifestyles, but minimize this discipline. Steal their time, their energy, their hunger, so they will not gather together in prayer. At all costs, this is what I want you to do. Distract them from gaining a hold of prayer. One demon from the crowd said, how shall we do this? He said, keep them busy with non-essentials. Unleash an assault on things to occupy their minds. Tempt them to spend and to spend and to spend and then borrow and borrow and borrow some more. 
convince them to work six or seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day so that they can afford their lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children as their families fragment. Soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds. Cause them to be addicted to frivolous things, things that add little to no value to their life and walk with God. He says, in addition, entice them to watch YouTube, Netflix, and to listen to meaningless podcasts. Didn't know the devil was that current. And it had so such a recent meaning. He said, have them fixated with social media so they spend hours scanning, reading, and responding to posts. Keep them and their children enamored with video games. Also keep them occupied with information and more information. He then added again, even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them make family their highest priority. Have them return from their holidays exhausted, disquieted, and disengaged. Make their personal, mental, and physical happiness their supreme objective. Condemn them from past mistakes so they will feel ineffective and unworthy to pray with others. Then he added also my favorite highlight, all their failures in prayer. And let them know all the times that they never got the answer to their requests. Let them be involved in evangelism without prayer because we know without prayer they will lack, uh, lack power. Crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to pray, to seek the power from Jesus. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family unity for the good of the cause. And above all things, sacrifice whatever you need to do in order to minimize the priority of prayer. At all costs, he shouted, keep them from prayer. And then he and every demon jumped to their feet and they held the new assignment and they said it was quite a convention. And the demons eagerly sped to their assignments and did exactly as instructed. The question that I have to ask you, have they been successful in their scheme? There are over 420,000 preaching points in America this Sunday morning. That means there'll be 420,000 places to hear messages, some in multiple surfaces. There'll be worship, there'll be song leading, there'll be praise teams. All the while, all of these things are going on, the devil is not nervous for the most part. For if preaching and worship could change our culture, if it alone, the preaching of the gospel, and the worship of our Savior could cause our nation to turn back to God, it would have been literally done decades ago. Not to mention the podcasts, the reviews of messages on Facebook, and the untold millions of people who are hearing the preaching of the word today. I'm not minimizing the preaching, I'm not minimizing the worship. But Jesus never said, or the Father never said, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, that my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the preaching or the worship made in this place. 
He said in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 15, after that famous passage, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and he says, I will hear their prayers, and literally, I'm going to forgive their sin and heal their land. But here's what, here's what the Father said in verse 15. He says, my eyes are going to be open, and my ears are going to be attentive. I am leaning into my church to hear somebody that's not only worshiping me and preaching, but praying. I make no apology this morning. I will not back off. I have great biblical foundation on the fact that prayer has to be the highest priority of the church. If you will study your Bible from the books of Matthew all the way to the end of the book of Acts, you will find the, the preeminence that prayer played in the work of God. Do you hear me? Before Jesus launched his church, he sent his church on a 10-day prayer meeting. Of course, there was worship there, but he says they gave themselves to prayer. In our culture, we will preach for 10 days and pray for one. In Jesus' culture, they prayed for 10 days and preached once. We will preach for 10 days and pray one and get minimal harvest. They prayed for 10 days and preached one time and 3,000 people were added to the kingdom. When the church began to grow and to begin to expand, the church got upset because the leaders did not touch the congregation like they wanted them to. They did not minister to the people. Peter, James, John, and the others were not carousing with the congregation, and so they got upset. The widows were not being taken care of, so they sent a committee to complain to Peter, James, and John and said, you, you need to come down and be with the people. And here's what Peter, James, and John says. He said, we're not going to do that. He says, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and not the preaching of the word alone, but giving ourselves to the word. And the more that I'm in the word, I know the necessity for me to become a man of prayer. The more I read the word, the more I understand there's absolutely no strength and no vitality in my own gifting and my own talent. But my supernatural strength comes from the Holy Spirit with the equation of how much time I am soaking myself in his presence. Does that make sense? This church shifted, not because of a new series, not because of new lights, or not because of new carpet, not because a new worship person, not because of a new sound, not because of haze, not because of technology, not because of Christian swagger, not because of giftedness. This church changed and attracted the very presence and power of the Holy Ghost when we decided to turn our hearts from all the frivolous things and say, God, we're going to become a congregation that will seek your face, and we're going to cry out for you and your glory to come, and so God, in anything in us that does not resonate with you and it offends you, would you please reveal it to us because we want to create an environment where you come. 
When Jesus walked into his own church and he saw the own activity, the selling and the merchandising and the programs and the ministries and the systems and the processes, when he walked into his own temple, he took a look around and he observed there's a lot of life happening in this building. There's a lot of laughter happening in this building. There's a lot of encouragement happening in this building. There are a lot of needs being met in this building as he walked in and they're getting ready to sacrifice and selling and meeting needs. And Jesus walked in and he took the look around. And your Bible says that he made himself a whip. And he began to, listen, to restructure and to reorganize the church. And he says, you guys have turned my house into a den of thieves. It's no longer about my father. It's about all your needs. It's about all your wants. It's about all your wishes. It's about making things easy for us. And he came and he made that whip. He turned the tables upside down. And he ran them out of the house and he says, I've got to restructure my house and begin to put it back to the degree and the pattern that God did in the beginning. He says, my house from the very beginning should be a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching, not a house of teaching, not a house of discipleship alone. Those things are important. But on top of all of it and surrounding it and on the foundation is a culture of prayer. And if we are weak in any area, we are weak in this area. This is the weakest area of the church. You ask any pastor. is the prayer ministry of the church. Years and years and years ago, centuries ago, it was reported that the city of Constantinople was being attacked. And Constantinople fell to the Turks in 1495, and inside that city, the Christian monks were busy. Now listen, the monks, the leaders, were busy discussing things like they were debating the sex of angels, the color of the eyes of the Virgin Mary. And the question that they were debating, now think of this nonsensical debate which was happening in the church. If a fly should fall into holy water, would the fly be sanctified or the water polluted? And as they gave themselves to meaningless religious ideas and discussions, their city methodically and tragically fell to the Muslims. And if we're not careful, and I think it has to some degree, the church has and may make the same mistake the monks made. We are engrossed in our own issues, debating trivial concerns, and becoming stagnated in nonsensical arguments. We are pursuing non-eternal things. We're disconnected from the, real, the realization of our affairs on this planet. Do you hear me? The Bible warns us in 2 Corinthians, take the note of this, and I want you to write it down, that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The devil is our chief adversary. The Bible says to be sober and to be vigilant, 
for he walks around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians chapter two, verse two, calls Satan the prince of the power of the air and that his spirit is at work among us. Are you with me this morning? Now, where am I going with this message today? I read to you in Matthew chapter 12 how if you want to bind and pillage a home, I should say, and take and rob the goods, you first have to bind the strong man. Now, Jesus said this about his work to Satan, but I'm gonna flip this and invert it, if you will, and this is exactly what, G, or what Satan has done to the church. Jesus is saying, if you want to set people free, you bind the strong man, then you pillage everything that he has. I think Satan, who knows the word, understood a battle strategy. If I'm going to pillage society, a culture, a generation, a group of people, an entity, a culture, a church, I'm first going to have to walk in to their culture and bind the strong man. And if I bind the strong man, then I have complete freedom and access because there's no power, no resistance to pillage right in front of them. What is the strong man of the church? It is not the preaching of the gospel. It is not the worship of the king. As beautiful and wonderful as it is, if you're gonna quote me, quote me well. I do not minimize the preaching of the gospel. I do not minimize worship. But what I'm trying to do is to elevate to you what should be and must be the highest priority of the church. Prayer is the strong man of the church. Notice in America, he has not, the devil has not tried to shut us down completely and thoroughly the preaching of the gospel. They called us non-essential, I get that. They're coming for that. But Satan understood this. If I can go deep into the root system of the church, if I can go back to the very foundation of the church, and if I could expose, minimize, uproot prayer in the church, then they will have a form of godliness, but no power. They will continue to preach, and they will continue to say the cliches, they will make twittable comments, and they will have a following, and they will have an energetic, exciting church culture. And they will think that their success is in the movement of people coming toward them. And the metrics that they will use is how many, how large, how many campuses, 
How big's your offering? How many staff members do you have? Metrics that the New Testament church never use. But because we adopted form, we now have the fruit and the harvest of two to three decades of prayerless ministry. And during this time, our culture has spiraled downward into deeper and deeper and deeper debauchery and wickedness. And the church itself, instead of being the city on the hill, has also not spiraled upward, but sex and perversion and manipulation and greed and materialism and self-serving has occupied the church as well. We will come and be stimulated by a very talented speaker. We will hear him or her talk to us about life enhancement principles. Three steps to that, four steps to this, and we have reduced the gospel of the kingdom to formulas. And we will pick out a church on how the music sounds and what it makes me feel like, not inspecting the lives of those that get paid incredible amounts of money to strum a guitar or to bang a drum or to sing a lyric. And if you have walked with me into a green room and heard worship pastors curse and sharing on their phones pornographic images, and smelling the breath of, on their breath, alcohol. But because they have a talent, and because they have a gifting, and because they got 22 and a half minutes to demonstrate how good they are, underneath the fog and the lights and the lasers, creating a form that we go, that was so entertaining. And some of us in this room, you have chosen churches based upon the popularity of the preacher and the wildness of their worship. For everything that is pure and holy, the days are coming to the body of Christ where we do not choose a church based upon the size of the church or what they can provide for me and my family. But we're going to serve and choose a church based upon when I walk through the doors, what do I smell? What do I sense? What's the priority? What is this all about? Are they building a kingdom unto themselves? Are they about something deeper, something eternal? Is there something beneath the surface that is causing a rumbling in the house? When you walk in, there's a sense of fear. There's a sense of dread that I'm not walking into a nightclub, spiritual church, unquote. I am walking into the very presence of God. I feel something here. I am experiencing something on my physical body that I've not felt in some time. This is the message for the 21st century church. 
We have had it with the entertainment. I've had it with unsanctified musicians. I've had it with barely saved preachers and prima donnas in their skinny jeans and their swagger and their followings. I'm extremely annoyed with the woke culture that has permeated the church. I feel in my spirit an agitation this morning. I feel in my spirit that there's something that's got to happen within the body. Listen to me, church members. Watch this very carefully. If you are in a church where there's no presence, where there's no fear of God, where there's no talk about holiness, no talk about righteousness, I don't care what your child wants to do. I don't care if they're playing in Disneyland in the back. Uproot your family. I don't care if you have to go to a church of 12 people, but find a man and a woman of God that says, God, I want you above all things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quit trying to be served. That's paradoxical. Jesus even said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Let's follow him. I join a church not based upon the playthings for my kids, not based upon the sound from the stage. I join a church. God, where do you want me to fit in here? To come alongside the pastor and not be a problem and not be. Oh, God, how can I serve the house? The strong man of the church, I make no apology about this, the strong man of the church is prayer. I've preached without praying, and I've preached with praying. Preaching with praying is much better. Now, the thing is, you won't know the difference at the first. But then you'll know. That's why Paul said, labor with me in prayer. Strive with me. He knows it's the most difficult thing in the church to do. It's work, it's sweat, it's laborious, it costs. So here's the ideas, write these down. I'm gonna give these to you and I'll close in, in five minutes, watch this. Here's how the devil did this, you ready? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna speak uh, um, candidly. Here's one, here's how we, uh, the devil bound the strong man in church, minimizing the priority of prayer in the minds of leaders. The most important thing that I do in my life is pray with the word, but pray. Number two, speaking about it, but not practicing it. Talk about prayer all you want to, but just don't do anything about it. Pastor, talk about the importance of it, but never call a prayer meeting. Talk about it from the pulpit, but never expect your people to come. They're not gonna come anyway. Here's another way. Persuaded people to focus on the tangible needs of the church. 
Do you hear me? Tell the people they can pray from home. People are too busy to come to the church and pray. I'm gonna come, listen, I'm gonna do two things. I'm gonna punch this in the nose and I'm gonna pull out a pocket knife and I'm gonna slit its throat. And it's gonna bleed out right here in front of me. It's gonna bleed out right here in front of me. So I want you, I want you to, I listen, I want you to hear, this is, this is so offensive, you just might as well go ahead and, and, and strap yourself in. I want you to take a seatbelt and strap yourself in right now. Go ahead and do it on the count of three. I want you to strap yourself in. And then I want you to go to your shoulder belt and I want you to strap yourself in. Don't go ahead and do it. Just do it right now because this is, this is offensive. This is offensive. If you're within driving different uh, distance of this church, and when your church calls a prayer meeting, it ought to ring the dinner bell in your spirit. For you to use the excuse that I am going to pray from home We are in war. Do you not think that I would like to stay home too? Do you not think our elders that come and pray and our staff and our executive, every time the doors are open to pray, do you not think that they too would like to stay home? But the cause is so great. And Jesus has been so good to me and to us that I want to take a biblical posture that literally says that we no longer live because of the cross of Jesus. We no longer live for ourselves. And we do everything in our might to please him. Well, I have children, I have a career, I've got to do A, and I, and I get, I'm not asking you to come here, I'm just saying one of the five. The dinner bell that your spirit man craves to see a move of God. And we say, I don't know how to pray. You're never going to learn sitting at home. Oh, Lord. You're never going to learn it. When I watch whole families, whole families, to toddlers, to strollers, to teenagers, walking with their father and their mother. They are clueless. They don't know what's happening. They're drifting around. They're just following daddy as if he's at a carnival, music festival. I don't know. They're just walking with daddy for an hour. And mom and daddy are lifting their hands. 
They pause by the steps and begin to pray for every soul that goes in. Tell me what you're teaching those babies. I don't want them to be a distraction. I love it when a baby cries in prayer. I love it when a little kid, three years old, runs around here running up and down. We're, you know, 100 of us in this place praying and seeking God. I love it. Don't let the devil talk you out of this. Don't let the devil minimize the importance of this. This is the highest priority of our church. Now, this is where, this is where it gets very, very touch and go with a lot of people. Are you demanding me to come to pray? Am I gonna lose good standing in this church if I don't pray? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about that. I love you enough, and I love your son enough, and I love your daughter enough. I love your mother enough, and I love your cousins enough that when something catastrophic happens to them, you cannot play catch up. If you've not made the significant deposit in prayer, we're not gonna be able to pull out a magic wand and whip up a miracle. I am telling you, you and John Kilpatrick spoke to me and he says, Todd, three things I gotta tell you about hosting the presence of God and having a revival. One, keep Jesus central. Number two, key, prayer is the key. You've got to make a deposit every week, every week, every day, so that when that blind person walks in, when the deaf person walks in, when you get the call, my son's OD'd and I gotta get to the hospital, you're not trying to get all spiritual and whipped up a miracle. You say, God, I have deposited for this moment. I have been in prayer and I've been seeking your face for this moment. And you can walk into that hospital room with full assurance and authority knowing. The reason we're seeing miracles it's not because of preaching. It's not because of of Pastor Marty being in the water. Right. We're seeing miracles because hundreds of us for four years, five times a week, snow on the ground with it raining. Kids sick. Honey, I'm going, you stay. I'll make the deposit for both of us. I love you enough to become a house of prayer. Those waters are ignited because of prayer. The flames are continuing. It may, it, guys, it, it is continuous. It, it is it's perpetual. The fire's on the water simply because we are sustaining it through prayer. Oh, Lord, I feel his presence, but I feel, I, feel resi- I feel an agitation in the spirit. I hit it. Not that you're being, I'm just in the atmosphere. Because you know what? I'm untying the strong man. 
I'm untying what he's tied up. You understand what I'm saying? What he's tried to do in the church. And that's one of my assignments as I travel. Pastor, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me what you do. Where's your nose the first thing in the morning? What's the first thing that you do? Do you pull up Fox News? Do you pull up CNN? Do you, what do you do? What, where's your nose the first thing in the morning? What's your staff doing? What are your elders doing? What's the prayer culture of the church? You can go into a church, put your finger up, and you know exactly what the priorities of this church. Nothing is more important than this. I love you the same if you come or if you don't come. But I may need you. I may need you. 150 days a year I'm out, last year, in some vicarious places, devils manifesting, eyes rolling back in their head, vomiting on me. Thousands of people, I'm in front of them within six inches and their sickness, gross and cancers and infections on their bodies. I don't need you to show up. I don't need you to have sympathy on me if I'm in a catastrophic event and somebody sends out an email, come to church and let's pray for Pastor Todd. The culture of the church is that's who we are. That's what we do. Emergency is not going to drive us to the church to pray. A cataclysmic event is not going to cause us to come to the church to pray. Our nation having a, going to war is not going to cause us to come to the church and pray because that will be seasonal. It'll, be, it'll just be a moment in time. As soon as it lifts, it's over. What about the fabric of who we are, our DNA, and that is men and women of prayer? Stand your feet all across the room. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I close with these three quotes. Write them, take a picture, whatever you want to do. Richard Sibbs, I don't know if that's how you say his name, but when we go to God in prayer, the devil knows that we go to fetch strength against him, and therefore he opposes us all he can. The resistance to come to prayer is nothing more than a spiritual attack on your life to bind the strong man in your life. Well, I feel nothing when I come to pray. You know what? I get it. I get it. A lot of times I don't feel anything. A lot of times when I eat, I really don't feel great as well, but I keep eating. <laughs> I keep drinking. Take vitamins, whatever. I just don't feel supercharged today. Just keep taking them. Keep taking them. Just be consistent. Tomorrow night at six, you know, we're going to be here at five. There'll be hundreds of us in prayer today at five. Hundreds of us in prayer. But tomorrow night at six, at six, we're going to pray. And the devil's going to work on you all day long, all day. I can't go. I'm too busy. I got other things. So-and-so started this, that, and we're just off spring break. I got to wash my clothes, all that stuff. Listen, listen. It will wait. It will wait. It will wait. It will wait. 
Now, for those of you that over an hour, I get it. I get it. I get it. You turn off every device in your home and you put on our prayer meeting and you walk around your living room, not doing dishes, not answering email, not watching, but laboring with us. Next quote. Our prayers lay the track down which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. And no one is a firmer believer in the power of prayer than the devil. Not that he practices it, but he suffers from it. I'm writing in this book on prayer about pain that is release on the kingdom of darkness when we pray. Devils feel when the church goes to violent, fervent intercession. They scramble as if in terror. Can you imagine if we reverse this? Christ Fellowship Church becomes a house of prayer. And our, and our largest meeting is not our Sunday night meeting. But our largest meeting is a prayer meeting. Now watch this. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we take our authority on the bended knee with our nose on the carpet. Crying out, God, my neighborhood is infested with meth labs. The police can't change it. Political policies can't change it. Raids can't change it. People ODing can't change it. But Lord, I'm going to come in prayer and I'm going to bind the strong man over my city that's influencing these meth labs. The Father says, Jesus, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You loose shall be loose. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that if I had a hundred adults on their knees praying for Dawson County High School? Watch me. And for 20 minutes, you prayed all you know in English, and then you prayed all you know in tongues. And for 20 minutes, 100 people just interceded for our teachers, our principals, our board of education, and for our young people, that revival. And watch this. Now watch, listen, 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 listen. That there would be such a holy boldness among our young people that they walk by the gym, or if there's a swimming pool, sauna, you just got born again in the hallway, what hinders me from being baptized? You begin to get people in the water. I mean, can you imagine our young people, our young people, so invigorated with the life of God, the power of God? It's not going to happen because we have FCA. 
It's not going to happen because someone goes and teaches, and that is great. It's wonderful. But that teacher, can you imagine, if, if, without him or her knowing, there's a hundred teachers and, and parents at the front interceding for the students, interceding for the teachers, interceding for the principals and the board of education and saying, oh, God, send revival to Dawson County. Suicide goes down, drug use goes down, promiscuity goes down. Come on now, somebody. The self-harming goes down. And we go into this atmosphere and we bind that strong man and said, not on our watch, not on our watch. All of North Georgia shall be set ablaze with the glory of God. All of North Georgia shall be set ablaze. Even, even every church shall be set ablaze with the glory. Can you imagine? And it doesn't, it doesn't take thousands, it just takes us. All right, lift your hands. My Father in heaven. Ignite this place with greater glory, deeper hunger, stronger tenacity, fervency for prayer. My Lord, I feel his presence. So here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. Everybody look at me. You can put your hands down. Here's the invitation. Tomorrow night's the invitation. Just join us. Come walk for one hour. I promise you. It's 6.57. From 6 to 6.57, we pray at 6.57. I stand right here, and by 7 o'clock, you're out. Has that not been the case for four years? I will not abuse it. For one hour. For one hour. Come and join us. You don't have to know what to say. Just walk. Turn your heart to heaven. Pray what you know. Repeat what you hear. And let God do it. This is the greatest hour our church has ever known. He's about to shake this place like it's never been shaken before. And when they gathered in Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, the Bible says the place was shaken. Bless your people. Thank you, God, for the greatest church in the world. Have your way for greater glory. And everybody in the house said, amen, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for being here. All right. Five o'clock prayer. Prophet Jeremiah Johnson is going to be in the house tonight. It's going to be fire. Five o'clock prayer. See you this evening. Thank you, guys.